0: Matthew chapter 6. We're also going to be taking a stop in Ephesians 5 and also Luke 12 later on. Matthew chapter 6, Ephesians 5, and Luke chapter 12. And hey, let's do the smart thing, let's pray. Just uh, Father, good to be here this morning, Uh, first Sunday of March. Just thank you for the weather coming up, and we just uh, thank you for your blessings upon all things. It's great to get together and just have the fellowship and the joy of just being with other like-minded believers. And I pray, Lord, that over this next hour, you would teach, we would listen, let your spirit guide and direct. You wrote it, help us to learn it. And Lord, I pray that we would not be the same as we just leave this building. We'd have an eternal mindset focused on you to impact how we live and how we act. And we lift this up in your name amen all righty matthew chapter six continue our study here through the book of matthew the last few weeks we've been in the sermon on the mount and this sermon is given to believers it's given to the disciples and how we're supposed to live pure in an impure world how are we supposed to live the christian life practically in this world that is full of evil and darkness what has god asked of us and how should we live the main focus has been this idea of the heart Is our heart devoted to Him? Take a look at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That idea is the heart focused on Him. There's a lot of talk the last few weeks on outward obedience. In Matthew chapter 5, it said, Do not murder, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, let's go one step further. Don't even have anger in your heart towards somebody. Do not even have lustful thoughts. So fine, on the outward we look good. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not cheating on my spouse. But where's the heart at? Last week we got into now outward righteousness, talking about prayer and giving to the poor. Today we're going to talk about fasting. So fine, on the outward, I look good. People see me praying, people see me giving, people see me fasting. But where's the heart? See, Christ wants our heart. I go back to what it says in Deuteronomy, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not just the outward obedience, not just the outward righteousness, but what's going on in the heart. And that's what Jesus is focusing here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So once again, last week was outward righteousness, talking about prayer, talking about giving. We're going to pick that up here, the same mindset now, talking about fasting. Matthew 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in heaven, who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So let's talk about fasting here for a little bit. Fasting is one of these tools that God has given us that I think that sometimes we fully don't understand. Now we talked a lot more about fasting when we went through Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus in the wilderness. I encourage you to get online, listen to that, or grab a copy of the CD. Because we're just going to hit some of the high points here real quick as we go through this. But when you're fasting, please do note verse 16 and also verse 17. When you fast. Not if you fast. The assumption is Jesus is saying you will fast. So what are the times we should be fasting? When is fasting appropriate? Because it's a tool that God has given us to use. And it's such a blessing. It truly is. But when we're fasting, the focus was supposed to be on the Lord, not on us. See, what was happening a couple thousand years ago when these people were fasting, they would walk around and you could tell something just didn't look right with them. They didn't look healthy. They didn't look good. What's going on? And it would be this big thing. Oh, I've been fasting. Fasting. And people would stop and say, Oh, wow, look how righteous this person is. Look how holy this person is. This person is going without food to be with God. They would get their glory. They'd get their reward. Remember these two words that Jesus keeps repeating the last couple weeks. Hypocrite and reward. Hypocrite literally means two-faced. So you put on one face when you're around the public to act righteous, to look obedient. Then you have another face that you're really like. Well, these hypocrites were saying, I'm very righteous. I'm very seeking of the Lord. So therefore, notice me. And then Jesus says, you want your reward, verse 16? You got your reward. You want to give to the poor and have everybody notice you last week? Then you got your reward. You want to be known as this mountain of prayer and everybody sees you praying and you want everybody to notice you praying? Then you got your reward. You're going to get your reward. It's either going to be here on earth or it's going to be in heaven. And what Christ is trying to teach us is look past this earth and invest in things eternal. Invest in things for heaven. That's what you want to invest in. That's where your reward's going to be, and that's where we should be focusing. But so often we're focusing on the temporary. We like the attention, don't we? We like the pat on the back. We like the affirmation. I was reading in a devotional this week where it talked about how we all have this itch, if you will, of wanting to be affirmed, and we love it when somebody scratches it, when somebody pats us on the back and says, good job. Jesus says, check your motives. If that's your motive, then that's your reward. But you want to look past that and look towards eternity. Years ago, there was a guy out here at church. And um, I don't know if the proper term is. He was quite the faster. I don't know if that's what you say or not. But he fasted all the time. And you guys know where I'm going with this. You know how I know he fasted all the time? Because he always told us that he fasted all the time. He wanted that affirmation. He wanted that okay. Now... When he was fasting, was he doing something good for the Lord? I sure hope so. Did it grow people spiritually? I sure hope so. But he wanted it to be known of all the times he fasted and all the time and energy he put into it. Jesus says, you know what, verse 16, surely I say to you, they have their reward. So does this mean that you can't ever mention you're fasting for somebody? Does this mean just like last week you can't ever say, Hey, I was trying to help this person out or I was praying for you? No, Jesus is saying, once again, just check your motives at the door. Why are you letting people know? Do you want the pat on the back? Do you want everybody to see you? If that's your goal, then you should probably just keep your mouth shut. But yet, if you're talking to someone and it comes out, hey, you know, the other day you were so heavy on the heart and I was praying for you, or what can I do to help you out? Then I want to glorify Jesus. Remember Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Whatever I do on the outside, I want it to be for the glory of God, so therefore He gets the glory. So, why would we fast? When you fast, why would we do it? Well, in the New Testament, there's really three reasons given in why you should fast. And we went over these in Matthew 4, so we'll hit it real quick. If you're a note taker, you can take notes there in your bulletin. Matthew 17... Matthew 17, you have fasting as a time of preparation. You remember the story. There was somebody demon-possessed. They wanted the demon to be cast out. The disciples couldn't do it. They go to Jesus, and they said, we can't cast this demon out. And Jesus says, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. The understanding there is Jesus is saying we're always supposed to be in a heart of prayer. And we're always supposed to be in a heart of fasting. So maybe you have a time of prayer, of fasting, a prayer, of preparation in your life. Maybe you have kids in home. And so you set aside, I'm just throwing this out there, lunch on Mondays. You're going to always take that lunch aside and use that for fasting to focus on your kids and pray for them. Maybe you have grandkids, so you're going to take away, you know, I don't know, lunch on Thursday and pray for your grandkids. Maybe God has really blessed you with a ministry at work or a ministry at church, and you're just going to take away a meal a week just to be in fasting for it. What are you fasting for? Just preparation. Lord, I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for my grandkids. I want to pray for this ministry. I want to pray for this service. I want to pray for this missions trip coming up. I don't even know what I'm going to face, but I want to be prepared for it. So I'm going to have my time spent in prayer and fasting before to be prepared. Well, how does that prepare you? Because you're feeding the spirit and not the flesh. See, this whole walk we have with the Lord on this earth is trying to die to ourselves as these fleshly desires. Fasting is a picture of us stopping feeding our flesh and focusing on the spirit. Fasting is where you take the time to not spend that time in preparing a meal, eating a meal, etc. And you use that time and energy instead to say, Lord, I want to pray about this. So instead of feeding the flesh, I feed the spirit. And God honors that, and God blesses that. And all that time and energy that would have been spent in a meal and preparation, I'm just going to go quietly spend with the Lord. And prayer of preparation. Why else would you fast? Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to a gal by the name of Anna. She was a widow. She was at the temple, and her ministry was fasting and prayer. Maybe that's your ministry. Maybe you're in a season of life where you don't have the physical strength that you once had. Maybe you're in a season of life where you can't go out and do the things you used to do. And so you're sitting there saying, I can't do anything for the Lord. You can have a ministry of prayer and fasting. You can know these people that are going through a tough time. You can know the marriages that are hurting. You can know the people are hurting physically. You can know the people that are struggling spiritually. And you can make that your ministry. I'm going to spend that time in prayer and fasting for them. And that will be my ministry for them. I may not physically be able to go do this or that, but by golly, I can take a meal, set it aside for the Lord, and spend that time in prayer and fasting for somebody. Maybe you know somebody that's really hurting. You're like, I don't know what to do. You know, I can't fix the problem. I can't do this. I can't do that. We could spend a meal praying and fasting for them. Seriously, do you realize that's one of the most loving things you can do is to say, I'm not going to eat And that time that I would have spent eating, I'm going to focus on your needs and what you're going through and give them over to the Lord. It's one of the most loving things you can do. Because if you're like me, you're just constantly thinking about food. I'm telling you about Jesus right now, but I'm wondering when I'm going to eat for lunch. You know, I'm thinking about that. And once I get done eating lunch, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wonder what I'm going to eat for supper. I'm thinking right now, the Harvest America thing starts at 6.30. Should I eat before that? Or should I eat when I get home? I'm just going to eat both times. That's what I've decided, you know. We think so much about food. That's just what our body thinks of. God has designed us to eat and to enjoy food. Look at the ministry. I did that on purpose. Look at the (laughs) ministry of Jesus. How often do you see Jesus in the Bible eating and enjoying fellowship with others? Our Savior set the example of enjoying food. He also set the example of fasting. So, prayer of preparation... Prayer for other people, for ministries. And then the last one, the one that we probably run into a lot in Acts 13, the church didn't know what God's will was, so they spent time in prayer and fasting for wisdom. Maybe you have a big decision coming up and you don't know what to do. You don't know up from down, left from right. Fast and pray over it. What is fasting and prayer going to do? It's going to train you to focus on the spirit and not the flesh. And that time you would have spent feeding the flesh, you're actually going to be feeding your spirit. And it really opens up a door to say, Lord, speak to me, guide me, lead me. Because I want it to be about you. And the Lord says, when you do that in secret, God says, I will take care of you. I will meet your needs and I will be the father that will meet you where you're at and help you through it. Cannot encourage you enough. If fasting is not a tool that you normally use, Put that in your spiritual toolbox. The way I look at a lot of these things God has given us, I just imagine, if you will, the spiritual toolbox, and you pull the tool out you need at the time. You know, you may not always need the Phillips. You may not always need the Crescent. You may not always need the rubber mallet, but you have those tools there. And when you need it, it's there. You may not fast all the time, but when it comes time to fast and the Lord leads you to do it, pull that tool out of your box. A little bit like anointing with oil. They talk about that in Mark and talk about that in the book of James. Anointing with oil for the sick. When do you use that? Use that tool. Bring that out. So there may be something coming up where you're saying, you know what? I need wisdom. Or this person is really heavy on the heart. This ministry is really heavy on the heart. Or you know what? I just feel I need to be prepared. I don't know what's coming up, but I want to be ready. Maybe you set aside a meal, fast and pray over it. And God will honor that and bless that. You do it for the right reasons. For your heart to know Him, not for the outward pat on the back. Because everything is about looking towards eternity. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything we do is an investment. I'm either investing in this world, or I'm investing into eternity. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell us here in verses 19 through 21. What do you treasure? What is important to your heart? Because whatever you treasure, whatever is important to your heart, that's what you're going to spend time and energy on. That's what's going to be important to you. And you'll make time for those things. All of us are given 24 hours a day to invest with. How are we going to use it? What are we going to use it for? You know, I love watching the weather. I've watched the weather here. We're going to get some warm days coming up this week. Some rain coming, but there's some days to maybe get outside and do some stuff. I have a whole list of projects, and I want to get done outside. Now, if I complete those projects, I will have a sense of accomplishment. I will look back and say, look what I got done. I will feel good about that. Now, what happens if the Lord that day, that beautiful day where I can get everything done, says, yeah, but James, I want you to go do this. Am I willing to invest in the things of the Lord? Am I willing to put my treasure to the side and say, Lord, I treasure what you want most? It doesn't mean that it's wrong to go out and do projects outside. We're coming up to summer here. We're going to start mowing yards. None of those things are wrong. But we just have to stop and say, what do I want to use my time and energy on? So while I'm doing those projects, I could be in prayer. I could be listening to worship. I could be bringing my boys along and saying, let's work together. Or I can make the day all about me. When I get up in the morning, here's my to-do list. This is what I want to do. And then when I lay in bed at night, I will have a sense of accomplishment because I have accomplished what I want to do. Well, let's accomplish what the Lord wants us to do that day. Let's treasure His will above anything else, and let's invest in that. Because as we invest in that, that's where we'll find true peace and fulfillment. Because we can accomplish everything we want in our flesh and still not have joy and fulfillment. We're starting to talk about Solomon on Wednesday nights. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Whatever he wanted, he got. Then go read the book of Ecclesiastes. He was miserable. So you can fulfill everything on your to-do list. You can fulfill everything you want on your little wish list and still walk away disappointed, discouraged, discontent. Because what do you treasure? Do you treasure the things of the Lord? Or do you treasure what you want? Once again, is it outward obedience and outward righteousness? Or is it the heart? We have to choose what we allow in. See, look at verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See what the Lord is saying. You choose what to allow into your life. You choose what to spend your time and energy on. What are you going to do with that? See, there is darkness out there and there is light. What are you going to choose to invest with? Let's go to Ephesians 5 real quick. Keep your hand here in Matthew 6. Ephesians 5 though. Ephesians 5 takes all these points and brings it together. The darkness, the light, seeking Him. Ephesians chapter 5, please. See, in Ephesians chapter 5, we see the same theme of darkness and light. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay, if you are here this morning and you are born again and saved, you are now in the light. At one time you were in the darkness. You walked according to the darkness. You walked according to what the world wanted, what the world said, and what you wanted. And that was a darkness. You got saved and you saw the light. The light of Jesus Christ. So now let's walk in that light. As we walk in the light, what happens? Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. Righteousness and truth. You start seeing the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of a sudden my life, instead of fulfilling the deeds of the flesh and what I wanted and I did what I did when I wanted to do it, I now have a mindset of focusing on the Lord. See verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what do I want to do today, but what do you want me to do? What is acceptable to you? Knowing your calling on what the Lord wants. See, now the problem with knowing your calling, I think we complicate this way too much. You know, we spent the first 40 days here of January and February as a church and as individuals. What is the Lord calling us to as a church? What is the Lord calling us to as individuals? And if you weren't with us last week, we kind of shared the vision that the Lord gave us for that. Um, It's on the CD of last Sunday's message. Go ahead and grab that if you want to hear that. They're also this week going to put it online. So that way you can listen to just that aspect of some of the stuff the Lord's laid on our heart here to start doing in the next couple months. I appreciate everybody that was praying and fasting for that. But finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. What does the Lord call you to do? Don't complicate it. See, I think when we hear something like that, what does the Lord call me to do? We're not all called to go to Zimbabwe. Sometimes it's fairly straightforward. If you're a mom and you've got little kids at home, maybe your calling right now is just to be the wife and mom that God called you to be. What a great calling that is. Men, you got kids at home, maybe your job right now is to be the godly father, to be the godly leader. That's your season of life that you're in. Now, maybe your calling is you got this new coworker, and your calling your season at this life right now is to just share Christ with them when the Lord opens the door. Maybe you got some people at school that are really hurting. I'm going to share the Lord with them. Maybe your calling right now is just to be where you're at. Plant. You're planted. Just grow where God planted you. Now, there may be something, quote-unquote, bigger and better, but the problem with always calling it bigger and better, it seems to diminish the day-in, day-out ministry that we have. Every day is a ministry. Every day is a mission field. And whenever you go someplace, it's an opportunity to represent Christ to a dying world. You may just be called right here to be doing what you're doing and representing Jesus Christ. Find out what that is, verse 10, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is even shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. See, we're called out of the darkness. The problem is our flesh wants to jump back into that darkness. Sometimes I want to say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I want to think things I shouldn't think. And sometimes I want to look at things I shouldn't look at. That's darkness. I don't want to do that. And this is a constant battle to be pure in an impure world. So, Lord, I don't want to be with that darkness. But the problem is, going back now, stay here in Ephesians, but tie in Matthew 6. The I. What are we allowing in? What am I listening to? What am I watching? What am I allowing my thoughts to go to? See, when I allow that stuff in, all of that has an effect on me. And when I allow that darkness to come in, and I accept that darkness, and I enjoy that darkness, that darkness is going to come in and affect every part of me spiritually. And that's why the Lord says, is there only light coming in your eye? What should we do if this is happening? Verse 14, therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Hey, how about you wake up spiritually? How many of us just kind of sleepwalk through our Christian walk? I mean, we love the Lord. We're here on a Sunday morning. We're spending time in prayer. We're in the Word. But have we really reached that point where we stop and say, Gosh, Lord, everything I do is about you. I want it to be all about eternity. I want it to be all about soul saved. Where it's not about investing in this world. It's about investing in you. And then when I see that, now all of a sudden, Lord, I get the picture of why I'm here. There's a deeper purpose to my life. Verse 15, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk carefully. There is so much around us. Walk carefully and redeem the time. Verse 16, some of your translations say, make the most of every opportunity, making the best use of time. Continuing our theme of investing, you're given 24 hours a day. How are you going to invest that? What are you going to use that for? You can invest in this world, or you can invest into eternity. But even as you're doing things in this world, it can be spiritual. You can always have your mind focused on the Lord and being open to Him. But what Ephesians is saying is, is listen, there is a darkness out there. You've been called out of that darkness. Now go live. Now jump back, if you will, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. I need to talk about these words here real quick in verse 22 and 23. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, remember good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, remember bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That word bad is an interesting word. That word bad literally means evil and diseased. We live in a sick world, don't we? When you watch the news at night, when you read the headlines, this is a sick world. And what Jesus is saying is that sickness, that disease, if we allow our eyes to focus on that, that same sickness and disease is going to come in and affect us as well. And we have to make sure that our eye is not diseased, it's not sickened, it's not evil. Because it's so easy to allow that to come in. We need our eye to be, verse 22, good. Now some of your translations may say something to the effect of single. Single. It's an interesting word. It's only used a couple times in the New Testament. It means your eye is supposed to be single-minded. Single-minded on what? Christ. See, but if you have your eyes going all over the place. Some days I'm single-minded with my eye. Bring in light. Okay, well now I'm going to shut the light off and I want to hang out in the darkness for a little bit. Bring in the disease. It doesn't work that way. That's going to affect you. What Jesus is trying to teach us here is, can we be single-minded, focused on the Lord? Remember what we talked about when we were doing our 40 days here of prayer and fasting, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first. Put him first. I like what this one commentator said about this. It says, the application is this. The good eye belongs to the person whose motives are pure who has a single desire, there's that word, single desire for God's interest, and who is willing to accept Christ's teachings literally. His whole life is flooded with light. He believes Jesus' words. He forsakes earthly riches. He lays up treasures in heaven. And he knows that this is the only true security. On the other hand, the bad eye belongs to the person who's trying to live for two worlds. He doesn't want to let go of his earthly treasures, yet he wants treasures in heaven too. The teachings of Jesus seem impractical and impossible to Him. He lacks clear guidance since He's full of darkness. See, that's what the Lord is saying. How's your eye? Is it evil, diseased, sickened? Or is it single-minded on the things of the Lord? Because you can't have both. Let's jump ahead to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You can't have two things. <clears throat> For either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, it's an Aramaic word for riches there. You can't have both. And what we do in this world is learning how to die to that darkness and walk in the light. And when you walk in the light, I'm telling you, that's where the joy and the fulfillment comes. That's when you get a purpose. That's when you start realizing, as the hymn says, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Because when you have an eternal mindset, a lot of the stuff that brings us down at home and at work and whatever, all of a sudden, in the whole scheme of eternity, doesn't mean anything. But it's when we allow this world, this darkness, to get the best of us, our eyes get off Christ, our eyes get off eternity, and it's really easy to get bothered by things. And it all happens to all of us. Because there's always that temptation to jump back into darkness. And sometimes it comes subtly. I got an email last week. And it was from, quote, your old friend Bill. Hello there, James at Harvest-Fellowship.com. So obviously it's a really close friend because he knows me as James at Harvest-Fellowship.com. My name is Bill Adultery, and I'm glad you're in my subscribers list. Exclamation point. Everything he says is exclamation point. He's really excited. What I want you, what do I want from you is to start together a partnership. Exclamation point. This sounds good. Bill Adultery will take all his knowledge and put it in your hands. Showing you how to turn a minimum investment of $250 into $10,000. For this initial investment, Bill will match you dollar for dollar. Therefore, an investment of $250 will also see Bill adding $250 of his own money to your account. You'll trade with this account under Bill's guidance to get to a level of $10,000. At this juncture, you are to return Bill's initial $250 and keep $9,750. Well, I mean, obviously this is legit and from the Lord. Um, This is just right there. Isn't that the world right there? hey, for $250, I get $10,000. That sounds good. That sounds good, right? And this is my good friend, Bill, that knows me as james at harvest-fellowship.com. And the only thing I need to do is click here to check more, and I just have to sign the contract. And as soon as I sign the contract, everything is good, and my $250 makes $10,000. Now, the problem with that is that's obviously pretty silly, and I would assume most of us here would just kind of reject that. The problem is, sometimes Satan comes in a little bit more discreet, doesn't he? And some of these darkness things, some of these things of investing in the world instead of eternity doesn't sound as bad. I remember years ago, Don and I were looking at getting a camper. I've shared this story with you before. And the camper we were looking at didn't have the price. We called him and they said, this is how much it was. And it was completely, utterly out of our budget. I said, I cannot afford that. We're not interested in that. He goes, okay, I understand that's too much. How does just $125 a month sound? Sounds great. Now, like I said, I went to school for finance. I did the quick math. It was $125 for 20 years. That's a little bit different ball game, right? Now, campers aren't bad. I love campers. I love camping. And it's not wrong to have a camper. The problem, though, becomes when the investment in the earthly Creates problems for the eternal. There's nothing wrong with having a camper. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. There's nothing wrong with going out and investing in landscaping for your house. Those things are not wrong in and of itself. But what Jesus is saying here is to stop and ask yourself, what's your motives? Why are you doing it? And just check the money first because it's so easy to get the best of you. Same thing with the dangling the carrot of overtime. Overtime, we'll pay you time and a half. We'll pay you double time. We'll pay you triple time. What's the only investment? Seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. So you don't see your kids, you don't see your family, you don't see anything. You have no time to grow spiritually. But yes, those paychecks that come every two weeks are really great. But what happens is it's all your time and energy get focused on the earthly and the spiritual man starts to die. And the darkness gets the best of you in all ways and all things. See, the Bible talks about this. I, I believe it's in the book of Amos. It talks about how your money bags have holes in them. And so what happens is you get your paycheck, if you will, and as you're walking away, you get home and your money bag is empty. Because the God says it has a hole in it. Where does it all go? We do a lot of financial counseling out here with people. And as we sit down, we say, okay, how much do you make? What are your expenses? Sometimes people come in and they make a very nice living, a very nice paycheck. Where does all this money go? It just kind of disappears. We've got to find it. It goes somewhere. Your money bag has a hole in it. And we need to find out where that is. Because so often, we're not really putting the Lord first in our time and our energy and our resources, or even financially. Can you go with me real quick to Proverbs, please? We've got two verses in Proverbs I want to look at. First one is Proverbs 28. See, when I talk about investing, it's not only the financial. It's your time, it's your energy, it's your resources. Like I said, God has given you 24 hours a day to invest. How are you going to do that? God has given you many opportunities. What are you going to do? Is it going to be for eternity or is it going to be for him? See, look at Proverbs 28. Look at verse 22. Proverbs 28, verse 22. A man with an evil eye, there's our tie-in, our evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him is not the truth. Sometimes these people that have a very well-paying job and they're hastening after riches, you would think the money should be there. Poverty comes. Because they're not investing in things eternal. They're investing in this earth. And they're not having an eternal mindset. They're having a earthly mindset. Go with me to Proverbs 11. Let's build on this. Proverbs 11, please. And as you go to Proverbs 11, if I would take this passage and go share this with my professors and my doctors that I had when I was getting my finance degree... And say, what do you think of this investment principle? It would be fascinating to see what they would say about this. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Their generous soul will be made rich, but he who waters will also be watered himself. That makes no sense. I scatter, but get more. I withhold, and I lose more. See, the problem is we always look at everything through the earth's economy rather than God's economy. And in God's economy, he says, if you're generous, if you're putting me first in everything, not just finances, but time, energy, resources, he goes, I will always take care of you and bless you. Always take care of you and bless you. I I look at Dawn and I, and I look at where we're at and what God has blessed us with, and I just keep going back to this simple point that when her and I were just starting to first work, you know, outside the home and back as teenagers, we always just stopped and said, Lord, you get 10% right off the top. God, we honor you with that. And he has always met our needs and always taken care of us. And I just can't give enough credit, praise, and glory, and honor and testimony to that. And there's been times where the finances may have been tight. we like, okay, but the Lord says scatter. We're going to scatter. Next thing you know, God just takes care of us. We scatter more, but increase more. And it's not only financial. Just be careful. Because I've seen the people on TV that tell me if I just plant a seed gift into their ministry, God's going to triple my money. God is not an investment banker, okay? Never look at it from that perspective. But when you give to God, he always bless and take care of you. How He bless and take care of you, which used the example of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. They had bread every morning, they had meat every night, and their sandals and their shoes never wore out. That's sometimes how God takes care of you. That vehicle that should not be running, I mean, seriously, it should not be running, just keeps on going. That water heater, that furnace that should really be dead, just kind of keeps on chugging along. God just takes care of you. The sandals don't wear out. What a blessing that is. God says, trust me with it. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The Lord says, of your time, your energy, and resources, invest in me. I sometimes have days where I look at the day, and I don't have enough time to go do that ministry. So I make the time to go do that ministry, and I start off doing that a little grouchy, a little grumpy. And by the time it's done, wow, Lord. What a day. What a blessing. And so you go do that ministry. You go help that person out. You go serve whatever. And you get back. And you should just be exhausted. But instead you're just flying high. Because wow Lord I got to serve you. What an amazing blessing that is. And then you have the day that you keep to yourself. I'm going to do whatever I want today. And that's the day you fall asleep at 7 o'clock in the evening. And you're grouchy because you didn't get anything done. You know. It's amazing when you just stop and say, Lord, it's yours. Everything is yours. God says, I'll take care of you. Because we're all going to be blessed. We're all going to be blessed. The question is, what are we going to do with that blessing? And here's our last passage on this. Can you go to Luke 12, please? You are all blessed with 24 hours today to serve the Lord in some manner, some capacity. You're all blessed with some type of gift. The Bible makes it clear. The Holy Spirit has gifted you individually. You have a gift. How are we going to use that for Him? So when the Lord blesses you, what are you going to do with it? Let's find out. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you. Now you have to know the context. Look at the verses before this. Jesus is teaching about putting him first, confessing Christ before men. Jesus is teaching before that about trusting him and making sure that he's number one. So in this great teaching of, hey, put me first. Trust me in all things. Confess me before men. In the middle of his teaching point, some guy yells out, hey, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What do you think that guy's motive is? He doesn't care about eternal. He just wants his money. See, Jesus is trying to give them something eternal. Jesus is trying to give them something that will last forever. And the only thing this guy can care about is, I just want my fair share of the cut. So now he says this, verse 15. He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Okay, verse 15. We all know this. But do we live it? Verse 16. That he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Real quick, stop. Verse 16. This guy is blessed. Okay. Put in whatever example you want. Maybe you have a job that pays very well. You are blessed. Your job yields plentifully. Maybe you're blessed with time. You're in a season of life where you have a lot of time, so therefore you have a lot of time in the day. That yields plentifully. Maybe you have a lot of tools and resources that can help somebody. You can do that plentifully. You are blessed with something. You are the rich man that something has been yielded to you plentifully. What are you going to do with that? Well, verse 17, what am I going to do? What a great question. Here's the problem. Verse 17, he thought within himself. I've shared with you many times before, the most dangerous person for me to talk to is me. I always agree with me. I always think I have good ideas. I love my ideas, and I never disagree with my ideas. So if I would just talk to myself, I would have the perfect plan for this church, for the world, for everything. It just all works out in my mind because I'm talking to myself. So what does he decide to do when he has this great conversation with himself? Verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. I will take care of myself. I'll bless myself with whatever I want to do. I'll use my time for the way I want to use my time. I'll use my money for the way I want to use my money. I'll use my resources for the way I want to use my resources. And then verse 19, I will just sit back and enjoy life. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool. Please note, if God, the creator of the universe, is calling you a fool. That's a pretty big statement. God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God? Fool. You're a fool if you stop and say, I want to make it all about me. It's my day, my time, my hours, my money, my finances, my energy. It's mine. The whole point of this last lesson and lesson before is investing into things eternal. That's not about you. And when we get this mindset, all of a sudden life and ministry changes. Because if we make it about us, then everything we do is about us. What can I do to make me happy today? What can I do to bring me some pleasure today? What can I do to bring me joy today? And once again, go look at Solomon's life and read Ecclesiastes. There will be no joy or peace. You'll have brief moments of fleshly happiness, but spiritually you'll be dead. And what Jesus is trying to say is, focus on me. When you get up in the morning, Lord, how can I serve you today? Here I am, send me. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you're going out and enjoying life, maybe you're going with your kids, your family to the zoo, you're on vacation, you're at your camper. Lord, who can I minister today to? Just the mundane. I'm going to go into Walmart and get a gallon of milk. Lord, bring somebody into my life that I can represent Christ to. It's taking the daily opportunities and turning them into just a little miraculous conversations through the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, that day off is not a day off. It's an opportunity to serve. Lord, what do you want me to do today? How can I invest in you? All of a sudden, when you get that paycheck, it's not like, oh, good. What am I going to do with my money? Lord, what do you want me to use it for? And then all of a sudden, you're investing into eternity. And God says, I will always meet your needs. I will always reward that. I will always take care of that. And then it's exciting to see what the Lord has in store. The worship team wants to come up here for the final song. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. And let's also pray for just the uh, Harvest America Crusade too.